0: One of the questions that I think pops up in scripture frequently and one that I think pops up in life and I, I see it happening all around us is, is the, this, this leaning in to wonder about how God feels about our current troubles. And so we're going to look at a passage today that, that helps us to see how Jesus responds to this type of a question and to this type of a thing. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. This is part of a, a much bigger passage that I want to look at, and actually we'll go all the way into chapter five, several verses, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come, but I can't get there without first covering these verses because the chapters and verses were added by, by us to give us some sense of organization. Sometimes I feel like that they don't need to be broken, now that's my opinion, and you know. I'm just a person and not a high authority or scholar in the matter, but I will tell you that hopefully you'll see with me why chapter 4 and 5 are wedded together in an important way in the weeks to come. But today we'll look at Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse number 35. When you get there, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Mark chapter 4, verse number 35. The scripture reads this way. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to Scripture, that oftentimes we're reminded from familiar stories about your power, and in our midst and in our turbulence, how you have a calming effect. I pray this morning that each and every one of us would be able to answer the question, who you are. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as we answer that question, Lord, that we might also put at the center of our life, you as Lord. I pray for this, for each and every one that's here and for those that are joining us online. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this is a familiar passage, and I hope that you're familiar with it. I... I'd like to think that, that this is one of those kinds of passages where we're like, yeah, Jesus did that. But I want to lean in and look just a little harder at it, and let's get a little bit bigger picture here because there's a question that's asked in chapter 4 that is immediately answered in chapter 5, and I feel like the two stories are, are one story. And as a result, when next week when we come back, we'll dive right into the answer. But today we're going to wrestle with the question. But let's go back to verse number 35. It says here, on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, is it peculiar to you that Jesus gives this clear instruction in this verse where he is is intentionally instructing these who are are being trained by him, who are in close relationship with him, to begin to to start a journey? And there's this moment for us that we learn that Jesus is going to, to instruct us where we're going to go. He is constantly going to lean in and give us an opportunity where he's going to give us instruction about what it is we're supposed to be doing. So I would love for you to look at your neighbor and say, don't worry, Jesus has instructions for you. You might not like those instructions, right? I can remember as a kid... That you know, when, when this time of year would come along, and then on into around Christmas time, how it's like all, everybody starts to button everything up, and the houses get closed up, and the school, and, and all the germs start to circulate, and all of a sudden, there'd be this sore throat would come up. And my parents would give me this instruction they'd say, You know, what you need to do is you need to gargle some salt water. And I would think, I don't like this instruction, not one bit. But man, if it didn't work. I mean, this was one of those things. It's just like, wow. Now, I know we can't talk about sore throats in church because everybody's terrified, but you might get a sore throat this year, and you might remember Brother Ben said, gargle some salt water. I did not say drink it. I said gargle it. Okay? So, but the instructions sometimes, we don't like them, right? Sometimes the instructions are clean your room. they are like, really? Sometimes the instructions are, you know, hard. Jesus is just telling these men who live in this fisherman life and these people that he's training and he's instructing them and he's just like, we're going to go out here. You think Jesus knew that there was a storm coming? Well, I suspect that when I read the Bible, I am reminded time and time again that God knows everything and Jesus is God. So he knows. Does that bother you a little bit, that Jesus might guide you directly into a storm? It shouldn't, because like I just said, he has instructions for us, even when we're in the storm. Well, we see this picture, right? Jesus knows about the storms that are in front of you, and he knows about the storms that are in front of me, so he knows about the storms that are in front of us. Some of us might be on a journey today where we're in a storm, and other people around us don't see it. And sometimes it causes us to think that other people are insensitive because we're in the middle of turbulence and nobody else sees it. But Jesus knew about it. And it's powerful. Well, we read on, on into the verses. In verse 36, it says Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with them. And you just see this picture, and it's like Jesus and his, his disciples are, and they're like, let's go. They're headed away from the crowd. And notice that a couple of weeks ago when I talked about Jesus preaching to a multitude, that he just happened to get into the boats of some of these guys. And he taught from those boats. And I remind you what I said then. Jesus never, ever has trouble drawing a crowd. We need to lift Jesus up. If we lift Jesus up over this whole situation, the crowd will, will be so engaged with him. And they'll want to know more about him. And they'll be curious about him enough to come and see. And so like, you know, a couple, you know, right when I first started, I said, look around and look at some empty seats and pray about those empty seats. That has not changed. What we need to pray is that every one of those seats will be filled with somebody that's looking for Jesus, and they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when they come here, they can find out more about Jesus. Jesus is in this passage, and he is giving instruction to a group of people into a turbulent moment. Wow. Some of you all of a sudden are like, but that's not the Christianity that I was told about when I was introduced to Jesus, that he would, he, he would make my life better and easier. But I never read that in the Bible. I have never read where it says, and if, since I follow Jesus, that I have no problems. You know, that it's common for people to say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. Show me that verse. I want that verse. I can't find that verse. I have looked hard for that verse. But you know what I do find in the Bible? I find lots of examples of how God will be sufficient to make up the the difference. That is in the Bible. We see it constantly. We see this moment where he's leading them into this, this place, and there's all these little boats around him. So it's not just him and the group in his boat, but it's a whole group of people. And as a result... What do we see? Verse 37, here comes the storm. And a great windstorm arose. I mean, the, the, kind of the, the pregnant pause there, right? A great windstorm arose and you're like, and man, and it affected everybody else. I will tell you firsthand experience, it's really hard sometimes living in a place where natural disasters occur frequently. I mean, we know that, don't we? Here, we, we recognize that a natural disaster could reach down out of the sky and take everything. In a moment. But sometimes it might take your neighbor, not you. And you might feel guilty because your stuff is okay, but their stuff is not. This is interesting how we see this picture, and there's this group of people that are being pushed into this this moment where this windstorm is arising, and sometimes we're looking around and we're saying, man, the storms aren't affecting me, and we just have this huge sigh of relief. But all too often, the storm is just right in front of us we have to deal with it. It says the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, I know of two things that I, that I have been told that sailors dread and fear. Okay? The first one is fire because there's nowhere to go. The second one is taking on water for the same reason. There's nowhere to go. And you see this picture of water coming up around the edge of the boats. Do you see it? I I can remember the day that I went to the movie theater. I don't know about you, I like movies. I I haven't been to a lot of movies, you know. Something happened and and this this mass spread of illness and people were like, don't go to the movies. And we were like, okay, we won't go to the movies. But I can remember as a a young man, old boy, one or the other, sitting in the movie theater and watching a movie called Castaway. Some of you might have seen it, might have not. Um, Tom Hanks. I'm sitting in the movie theater and Based on the directors and the producers and the film company's instructions, that theater was dark. And when the plane crashes in that movie into the water, there's this sound that is roaring, but, but there's darkness. And what I saw was this, this moment, because it was like, wow, it's pitch black in here. And then the lightning would crackle across the screen. And you can hear the, the rain and you can hear the waves. And then you would see these giant waves rising up over them. And I was reminded of these powerful scriptures one in Job where it says, this far I've commanded the waves to come, the, these proud waves to come and no farther. And I think about the mighty power of God and you look at this picture of these waves coming up around these guys in this storm and I, and I imagine that moment that it's not like this little splash that you get from the kiddie pool. These are guys that are struggling for their life in a field that they know well and they're struggling for their life. Doesn't mean that you cannot be in a situation where you are completely competent and capable, but you might still be struggling in life because sometimes the storms are just that big. And there's these waves, and they're coming up over, and this water is filling into the boat. And all the while, the question is, where, God, where are you in this moment? It says here, verse number 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, before I read that, you know, you gotta realize something about Jesus. If Jesus knows that storms are coming, that he's okay. He's completely comfortable with the fact that there might be a, a storm in your life. I believe that. I know that. Beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that God is capable of being completely calm while I'm freaking out in the midst of a storm. There's this moment where they approach him and he's sleeping. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And in it, you hear the desperation, you hear the moment, the, the cry of, of anguish when people are, are looking around and they're telling the world around them, No, everything's fine. And when people ask you, How are you? you're saying, I'm having a good day. And, and really inside, you're saying, No, 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 I'm, I'm a wreck. And this is a mess. And if people really knew, they wouldn't want to talk to me. So I'm just going to put up the, I'm okay. Things are fine. And they want to run to God in those moments, in those quiet moments where they won't tell it to anybody else. And they'll say, Don't you care? that we're perishing? Don't you know how bad this is? And there's this moment when we get real about who Jesus is and about who we are and all the things that we don't want to talk about because we're afraid that it might make us look weak or it might expose our insecurities or it might make us seem vulnerable. And all the while, what we're saying is is that we believe we're sufficient enough and we don't need him except for to accuse him of not being present. And that's not the truth. The truth is that we need him and we're desperate for him and we are in a place where without him, these waves are gonna get us. That's where I was the moment that I realized that I needed him as savior, that this was terminal and that there was no way to rescue me and that I could see it coming up over the edges of the boat and I'm like, no one knows how lost I feel but there's, there's one thing that I've heard consistently throughout the course of my life that if I will cry out to him, that he will rescue me. And just like these, these, these men in the boat, don't you care how bad this is? Wow. Well, you know, if you're following along in your, in your bulletin and, and you're taking notes, one of the problems that we as human beings have is that we are often overwhelmed with the concern of self and safety. And one of the problems that we have is, is that because we are typically very self-centered beings. You know, one of the illustrations that I use frequently and you'll probably hear me say it many times is that I can prove that you're selfish right here, right now. Do you want to know how I can prove that you're selfish? and That you're self-centered? Oh, you don't want to hear it? Okay, I'll just move on. How many of you have ever looked, and I know photo albums sounds like an old thing now, especially to the young audience, but photo albums used to be a thing, right? And we used to take photos and we used to take the film to a place and send it off and it would come back and it was like this great anticipation when we would open up the little envelope and pull the photos out. And we would flip through them and we'd look and like, nope, 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 oh, that's a good one. And you know how you knew if it was a good photo? You looked good in that photo. As Ron Kanzler said it when he shared this illustration where I learned it from, he said, Grandma's hair could be sticking straight off to the side. The wind could be completely destroying your outfit, but you're standing somewhere in the middle of it, and you look good. And you're like, man, that's a good photo. And everybody else is like, no, no, it's not. Hide that one. Throw it away. Put it in the don't keep. Now we just hit delete, right, on our phones. But we're selfish, And we're so so concerned with our own safety and well-being. We're overwhelmed by the situation that oftentimes we forget that our Savior sent us right out there to this. And we forget that he knew it was going to be there. And we forget that he's okay with all of it. And where I want to spend the lion's share of the rest of our time is coming up in the next statement. It says, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. I would love for you to look at your neighbor and say, Peace, be still. That's what the scripture says that Jesus said. Now, Mark captured this and he says that that he rebukes the wind and the waves, right? The wind and the sea. That's what it says here. Jesus is recorded as only saying, Peace, be still. And I think this is a sticking point that we need to talk about. Jesus doesn't address the waves directly. And he doesn't address the the wind directly. He just says, peace be still. And because his creation is subordinate to him, it responds. But I think he was speaking to everything that was there that day, including the men in the boat, who were the big, strong men in the boat. I'm going to tell you, as a man, that there are men in my life that would sooner go down with the ship than ask for help. They would sooner capsize and be like, well, this is what we did and it didn't work, and that's the story I'm going to tell if I survive. But sometimes as men, we need to learn that the manliest thing we can do is we can look to Jesus, and we can embrace a great leader who will guide us through a a turbulent moment. And this is not to say that women are not supposed to do the same, but I In particular, we have this toxic masculinity that keeps us from being in a situation where we feel like that we should be subservient to our Savior because we think it's not masculine. And I suggest to you that in this moment, it might be the manliest thing I've ever seen for these men to have cried out to Jesus and say, Don't you care that we're perishing? And you might see it here that when Jesus says, peace, be still, and that's the only three words that are recorded in what he said to calm the situation down. But some of us need peace in our life so badly about so many things. And the problem that we're having is that we want Jesus to calm that down, not us. There was this immense study that was done by Duke University on peace of mind. Factors found to contribute greatly to emotional and mental stability are this. And there are eight of them. So if you're writing, write fast. The absence of suspicion and restraint, or excuse me, and resentment. The absence of suspicion and resentment. This contributes to your mental stability and your emotional well-being. Peace of mind. If you're nursing a grudge, this was a major factor in your unhappiness. Man. The second one. If you want to have emotional stability, mental stability, you want to have peace of mind, you can't live in the past. An unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression. Now our world is filled with depression, by the way. It is filled with anxiety. It is filled with with, with all these disorders. And I suggest to you that, that this understanding the things that contribute to these types of things can help us unload these burdens. You know, I talk about Corey Tenboom, and there's this really cool moment in, in her story, The Hiding Place. And, and another illustration I love, and it applies to so many things, but there's this moment where the, his daughter, or Corey, Corey, asks her father about a subject that's too grown up for her. And he pulls down a heavy suitcase full of watchmaking equipment and parts, and he sets it down, and he asks the young girl to pick it up, and she's not able. And he says, just like this case is too heavy for you, let me carry this one. And when you get a little older, you might be able to carry these burdens, but not right now. Some of us need to, to let go of some of these things in our past because they're too heavy burdens to carry. It goes on, and number three thing is, not wasting time and energy, fighting conditions you cannot change. How many times have you been trying to control a situation that you can't control, that you have held on to, trying so desperately i love the way the apostle paul opens his letters when he says when he says grace and peace most of us need peace so badly and we think that how we can gain peace is through control but you cannot gain peace through control you can only gain peace through grace so when i feel like things are out of control i have just begun to pray god i need more grace today I need more grace for everything that's coming, more grace for everything that's going. I need more grace because I can't control so many of the factors that are out there. We see this picture of wasting our time and energy fighting conditions we can't change. We go on. You know, the fourth thing that they have listed here is you force yourself to stay involved with the living world. This is one of the ways that we help our emotional well-being and our peace of mind. Instead of, we have to resist the temptation to withdraw and become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. How many of you in this room know anybody that might also be in this room, and please don't point them out, that would be embarrassing. That when things get real crazy, they just wall off and they go away, they disappear, they hide. Most husbands, you know, are guilty of this whenever there's a disagreement between them and their spouse. Women are guilty of it too. It's dangerous. You want to be well I mean well 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 mannered with your mental stability, peace of mind. You need to force yourself to be involved. We should refuse, this is number five, to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. You know, there's a four-letter F-word that I don't like very much, and it's not the one you're thinking of. Shame on you. The word is fair. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, "Life's not fair. This is a four-letter F word that I cannot stand. Fair is a four-letter F word that you are not allowed to come to me and say, that's not brother, very fair, Brother Ben. And I'm going to say, I am so glad that life is not fair. And you say, why are you so glad that life is not fair? Because if life were fair, I'd be going straight to hell. And so would you. If life were fair, God wouldn't love me unconditionally because he knows what I did yesterday and what I thought. And he knows what I did when I was younger, and he knows how I behaved, and he knows that it's not fair for him to send his son to die for me. Life is not fair, and I'm okay with that. We are too wound up on what's fair. Your, your, your emotional happiness cannot be wedded to whether or not the books are balanced, because if the books are balanced, you don't deserve the salvation that's in front of you. You sure don't deserve Jesus. And we do this thing with self-pity when we're like, I'm just gonna pout because it's not very fair right now. And I always try to remind people that when it's not fair, I celebrate. Why do I celebrate? Because no one gets a fair deal. Everybody's on the wrong end of the transaction sometimes. And I need it to be unfair if I'm gonna get to heaven. You can balance the books if you'd like, but you're not gonna have peace of mind Number six in the list of things, and I'm almost done with the list, it says cultivate the old-fashioned virtues. If you want to have great emotional well-being and mental stability, virtues like love. Anybody in this room ever had a hard time saying, I love you? The fact that you can't say yes means that you might need some fine-tuning here. You should tell your children, if you're a father in this place, that you love them. You should say it to your wife and you should say it to your friends and you should say it because love is the defining factor of all things Christianity is wedded to because Christ is love, because God is love. And love is not any, lacking any masculinity, not whatsoever. If you're, if you're weak in this area, cry out to God and ask him for help. You ought to be able to look at your children, at your grandchildren, at your spouse, and you ought to be able to say that you love them. We should cultivate old fashioned virtues like humor and compassion and loyalty. This is something that our world is 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 dangerously lean on. The humor is crude and, and the compassion is lean and the loyalty is lacking. But we'd be a lot happier and have a lot more peace of mind if we had these things in our life. We should also learn to not expect, this is number seven, too much of ourselves where there is too wide a gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals you have set. Feelings of inadequacy are inevitable. Oftentimes we expect too much of ourselves and as a result we feel let down and therefore we become very unforgiving of ourselves and also other people. Do you struggle with with resentment and anger? Oftentimes it's because the goals for yourself are too big. I mean, I'm just, just sharing these things with you so that you might see a little bit of peace. The last one on the list says you need to find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Duke University, at the end of their study, decided that this was number eight. The last thing that should be on their list is that people should find something bigger than themselves to believe in. The fishermen are on the boat. The waves are crashing. The water is spilling it up. And they needed something bigger to believe in. They needed Jesus. Had you ever thought that maybe you need to ask him first? Ask him first. Self centered, egotistical people score lowest in any test for measuring happiness. If you are doing it under your own strength and under your own power, you will be miserable. Another study tells us that men would rather be miserable and well respected than well loved. And as a result, I see many men that would rather go to hell than know Jesus. But Jesus speaks these words. He says, Peace, be still. And then it says, And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And I would suggest that it's because it's a group of people who have learned to depend on their own skills and abilities instead of on the Almighty and seeing something bigger than themselves. And their happiness is determined upon the smooth sailing instead of the the requisite need to know that life will be turbulent but we have Christ. It is not the absence of trouble that produces peace. It is the presence of Christ that produces peace. It is not... It is not in this moment where things are rocky, where we say to ourselves, man, if it would just get easier. The anthem song of many believers is, I wish I had a Christian boss, and I wish I had a Christian work environment, and I wish I had all these easy things. And what I would suggest to you is that you don't need an easier path. You need a great big God to go with you down the hard path that he's put in front of you. And you need to stop asking for less from the world's troubles and more of God in your life on a daily basis. This picture is powerful. Powerful. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? They asked him a question. He said three words, and then he gives them two questions. The first one is fear, and the second one is faith. What are you afraid of? And why don't you believe? And then, verse 41. Jesus having calmed down, that's number five on the bulletin calming more than the wind and the waves they began to ask some questions. And they feared exceedingly. He asked them why they're afraid, and their fear is growing. Is it shrinking? They have seen the miraculous. Is their fear shrinking? No, it's growing. Not of the wind and the waves anymore, but of this man who has just done something powerful. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? That even the wind and the waves or the wind and the sea obey him. Who can this be? Chapter 5 starts out with a story where the boat lands on the shore and a man who has real problems cries out who this man is. We're going to learn about that next week. But today we're going to deal with this as we come to an invitation where we have to answer this question. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, when Jesus spoke peace be still, I think he was speaking to not only the wind and the waves, but also to the men. And you might be in this place today, and your life might be turbulent, and you might be out of control, and you might not want to share it with anybody, and you might be a wreck. But you need to answer this question. If the wind and the waves will obey this man, why can't I put my faith in him to help me? Because that might be you here today, and you might need to come to Jesus. In a moment, we're gonna pray and I'm gonna step down front. I'm gonna ask Brandon to come and stand and I'm gonna ask Boyd to be out in the back. And if you wanna to talk to somebody about putting Jesus right in the middle of your storm instead of asking him for calm seas, we'll be here to talk with you. But you might also be here as a believer for a long time. and You might be in this situation where you need to start looking not at your storm anymore but at the presence of peacemaking Jesus in the midst of your storm. You might be here today You might have something else that you want to pray about, and you're welcome to come. There's no greater place. The the front of a church ought to be a sacred space, a holy space, where when people come here, they know that they can connect with the Almighty. And we ought to have that anticipation that when we come to church, we can meet him. And I want to challenge you today that as I offer this invitation, that if you are courageous enough to come, that you could talk to him about anything. Between you and him. And if you want to talk to me or Brandon or Boyd, we're glad to receive you. Maybe you just need to come and give your storm to Jesus and trust him.